Well, so there was a group of, of older gentlemen, people with much wisdom, who would go to a local coffee shop once a week in Salt Lake City in Utah, and these old gentlemen or these older folks would talk about all life's matters and really solve all these problems that are going on with society, and eventually they got tired of figuring out all these problems amongst themselves, that they had this crazy idea. And they decided that they wanted to share their wisdom with the rest of the world, so they heard of a local farmer's market that would gather every single week on the same day that they would gather on a Saturday morning. So instead of meeting at this coffee shop in Salt Lake City, they decided that they were going to meet at this farmer's market. And they go and they make a big sign, and on that sign, of course, wanting to share their wisdom of, with the world, they, say, they create a sign that says, Old Kooks Giving Advice. It's probably bad advice, but it's free. And as funny as that is, Old Kooks Giving Bad Advice, or Giving Advice, it's probably bad advice, but it's free, they had person after person each Saturday line up to receive advice from these old coots. And sure enough, the lines got bigger and bigger to where soon they had around 30 to 40 people who would come by seeking advice for all sorts of things. Sometimes the advice would be uh, asking their opinion for somebody who, who, who maybe was in a situation where they weren't sure when they could take their first vacation at their job or how to have better relationships with each other. And they would, you know, get, listen intently and give the advice that they had. But this story kind of makes me laugh because I think many of us in reality have wisdom to share or at least have times in our lives where we're seeking advice from other people, right? Where we're faced with a situation and we don't know necessarily how to handle that situation, so we hopefully seek the counsel or wisdom from somebody else. And oftentimes, it's usually somebody else older than us, or at least it should be. Well, in today's message, we're in some ways doing that. We're going to be looking at Samuel's life towards the twilight of his life, towards the end of his life when he writes an address to the people of Israel as kind of a final farewell speech to them. So I want us to take special attention to this because there aren't many farewell addresses in all of Scripture. There are a few, but this really stands apart because it happens so seldomly in Scripture. So I want us to take the time to really pay attention to Samuel's words as he tries to teach us. And a little bit about that, I, 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 want, I want to bring your attention to something else. You've probably caught on already in the few years that I've been here as your pastor, but the ways that we try to do sermons here on a Sunday are what's called expository sermons. So if you didn't know, there's kind of two 
different ways that typically pastors will try to approach a sermon. And one way is a topical message. So maybe a a topic is preached on the topic of love or hope. And then there's expository messages. And that's messages that where we take a, a scripture verse and we dissect it and we act as kind of miners going in and trying to excavate a gem out of God's Word as we engage with it. And the reason why I say this is because I, I, I want you to understand why we take the time to do these series through different books in the Bible. Because one of the travesties that I think we're going to see in Samuel's farewell address exists today. And that is the fact that so many people that claim God as their father, whether it was in Israel or as Christians today, know very little about the pages between this book. And this is becoming of a growing concern, especially for people like me who are charged to be a pastor, because I've noticed that many different Christians, and I'm not just talking about people sitting in the seats or in a pew, but people who are considered leaders within the church, maybe even some pastors within the church, or denominational leaders within the church, that unfortunately are very opposed to actually engaging in Scripture and know very little about Scripture, but yet are still leading churches in the way that they should go. And I struggled on whether I would share this or not, but I think it is important for you guys to know because it is what's happening right now in our own denomination. Right now in our own denomination, there's a resolution to do away with, or to, to ask pastors like myself to repent for some of the views that I hold in Scripture. And I was very saddened this past week because I watched the webinar that was trying to convict people like me to repent for certain views that I hold over marriage be, being between one man and one woman that I realized halfway through in the webinar that there was no offer of looking into God's Word, that I was being asked to recognize something as a sin, but yet I wasn't afforded any single justification on why I need to repent before my Heavenly Father. Now, church, hear this well. I take sin very seriously. Maybe not as seriously as I always should, but I do take sin very seriously. And any time I try to come up here and try to convict you of something, please know I'm trying to do it because I genuinely want to see you succeed and see sin diminish in your life so that God will increase in your life. Amen? And any time someone is asking you to repent from something, they're in some ways telling you that what you're doing is a sin. And if they're telling you that that what you're doing is a sin, then that means that God views that as a sin. And that is why you need to ask Him for forgiveness. 
So imagine my disappointment this week when I was told I was sinning against the Lord for something but wasn't given any scriptures on how I was doing that. I was frustrated. I was disappointed. Because as sad as it is, we're living in a day and age where people just don't know this book very well. And look, I'm not saying that I'm perfect with my knowledge and my comprehension of this book. But I work hard every single day to stay in God's Word. And the reason why I'm saying this right now is because I want you to do the same. Church, you want to know the difference between light and darkness. You need to understand this book well. So stay in God's Word. Read God's Word. And hear today Samuel's address, which is very much, in my belief, rooted in a perspective of staying in Scripture. So let's go ahead and look at what is going on in 1 Samuel 12. So if you remember from last week, what happened? The people of Israel wanted a, a king, and what did that mean? They rejected God, right? And God, though, gave in to that, not because God is weak, but because He decided to give them the desires of their heart. But in doing that, they were going to reap some consequences. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. Interesting that he still mentions his sons despite his sons being corrupt. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed, whose ox have I taken." So what he's doing right here is he's trying to help the people of Israel understand if he's done anything wrong. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkeys have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right." I love this. I love this. Because what Samuel is trying to do here, he's, he's being very strategic here. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to, in some ways, reestablish his relationship with Israel. He's trying to ask Israel in this moment, has there ever been a time where I've cheated you? Has there ever been a time where I've accepted a bribe or done something wrongly? You see, Samuel's very confident that the answer to that question is a simple no. You haven't, Samuel. You've been a good leader to us. And the reason why Samuel is doing that is, is, is what? Is because he's about to say some things that they are not going to like, right? And so by doing this, he's in some ways allowing the people to remember what? That Samuel has been a good leader to them. That they can't revise history after Samuel says something that they don't like in order to dismiss Samuel. So Samuel's being very clever here. 
But one of the things that I love that Samuel does is he, in the midst of his confidence, in the midst of saying, you know, in, in saying this because he realizes that he's never done anything wrong as far as a leader, like he's been a good leader to them, he says that if I have done any of these things, I will make it right. And I like that because here's one of the truths that I think we need to hear in today's age is good leaders are willing to be examined and face criticism. If you're a leader, you need to be willing to be examined and you need to also be willing to face criticism. Now, I need to be careful with this, okay? Because not all criticism is good criticism. I remember when I was a seminary student, and I went to a seminary that dealt with a lot of different church traditions, okay? So it wasn't just, you know, Baptist or just Methodist or just Presbyterian. But so we ministered, so the seminary taught and trained a lot of pastors from a lot of different Protestant denominations. And I remember my seminary professors, they would tell me that one of the hardest congregations you can serve at is a congregation with a congregational model. Now, what type of model are we, church? Congregational. And it's not that you guys aren't great people, but this is just normal in every congregational church. They're harder churches to serve in only because you have to deal with the congregation trying to vote on certain things, and those could be difficult things to navigate. So, for instance, this past winter season and coming into this year, we're doing two things in the church. And I'm not going to lie, it's hard, it's really difficult. It's not easy. I get stressed out. And what we're doing is we're doing something called a pastoral review. Now, I'm sure in your own workplaces, you've had times where your supervisor gives you a review. And as hard as you try, sometimes those feel nerve-wracking, right? Have you ever had a review before done at your job and you get a little nervous, right? Well, pastors have the joy of the whole congregation offering their feedback to, to them. And uh, we did a portion of that review this past winter where all the council was able to write down their thoughts about me as their pastor. And I was nervous because even though I want to do a good job and try to do a good job, doesn't always mean I do a good job, or at least doesn't mean, always mean that people think I do a good job. But I was so grateful. I was so grateful that I got through the nerves because in that review, it not only offered some criticisms that I needed to hear, but it also offered so many opportunities for me to be encouraged, for me to hear things that I'm doing well, that, I'm, that I, I need to try to continue to do. But even in the midst of those uh, wonderful feedback, there was also opportunity for me to hear healthy criticism healthy things that I need to try to work on. And as hard as those things are at times of our lives, they're so important because if we truly desire to grow in our lives, then we need to accept the fact that we're imperfect people in need of a perfect Savior. And, so, and because of that, there are things that we need to work on no matter how young or old we may be. Amen? Church, good leaders 
desire for feedback to be given in their lives. But make no mistake, you want to make sure that the kinds of people offering you feedback are the kinds of people that you trust. Because obviously, there's some people, at least within the denomination, who would give me feedback on things that I do not trust them for. So I avoid feedback in some regards from those kinds of people. But one thing I want to encourage you to do is to live in a posture where you're willing to be able to not only receive feedback, but give it to others. You know, something I like to encourage people to do when it comes to the topic of being influential to other people is to have someone above you, okay? Have someone above you. And Lena, you could put what I'm about to do on the screen. Have someone above you. And the reason why I mention that is because having someone above you really comes with, with the opportunity for someone more wise than yourself, that's what I really mean about above, to offer you feedback in life. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they need to be older than you, but they need to at least have mastered or have a good understanding of what you are trying to accomplish in life. So, for instance, let's say you have a sin area of your life. Let's say you are a quick-tempered, angry person, that you just easily have a short fuse. Well, you know what someone above you would look like? Someone who doesn't have a quick temper or it doesn't get angry too easily. To talk to a person like that and ask them, how do I deal with that? How do you deal with that? And start to figure out from this individual how to gain mastery over that. Find the area in your life that you consider to be a blind spot or that you consider yourself to be weak in and look for somebody else who has experience and success in that area and allow that person to help teach you and mentor you through that. You could start with some gray-headed people. Job 12, 12 says, Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? The next thing that I think is, is really good in, in finding ways to encourage and be influenced is not only finding somebody above you, but finding somebody beside you a peer who can understand what it feels like to live in your shoes right now. So an example of this, one of my friends in the church is Jess's husband, Adam. Now, why is he one of my friends in the church? Well, because Jess and Adam have quite a few kids. <laughs> and Adam understands when I have a kid problem, he gets it because he also has those kid problems. So Adam is someone that's around my age, that's also in a similar experience in my life, that is beside me that we can encourage each other with. Find somebody beside you. 
And the last one is someone below you. Now, this does not mean someone who is inferior to you, but this means someone who might not have success in an area that you've gained mastery over. And offering yourself as a a mentor into their life. So in the same way you might be looking for somebody above, you also need to be looking for somebody below. Somebody that you can share your wisdom with. For a lot of people, I have I I've I found in my life there's there's people that I have found that are above me, that I want to be more like them, so I invite them to speak into my life. But I'm also always trying to look at opportunities to find people below me, people that I can share what God has put in my life in the areas that God has given me victory in and share those things with others. This is what Samuel in some ways is doing right now. He's trying to share with Israel certain things that he has gained mastery over. So he very cleverly gets them to agree that the people end up saying in verse 4, you have not cheated us, you have not oppressed us, you have not taken anything from anyone's hands. So Samuel then in turn says this, the Lord is witness against you and also his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And then he continues on, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors up out of Egypt. Now then, stand here, because I am going to confront you with the evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. So Samuel begins to then say in verse 8, After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried out to the Lord for help. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. And here is what I really want you to read, is verse 9. But they forgot the Lord their God. Say that with me. But they forgot the Lord their God. I know the font is a little small. Hopefully you could read it well. They forgot the Lord their God. You see, this is what Samuel is trying to get at within this whole entire address. And this is really at the crux of today's message and why I've in some ways brought up all of these things both past in Israel and present within our own lives is the fact that we continue to do this. We do this all the time, church. We do what? We forget the Lord God. We do this all the time. I hate to say it, but it is a reality. How many times within your life has God been faithful and answered a prayer and done something radical in your life that you know deep down in your heart that this was a Holy Spirit moment? That God intervened and created an opportunity, answered a prayer, met a need, spoke to your heart, brought you peace, and yet the next day goes by or a week goes by or whatever time frame and it's like that never even happened. You live in that same exact problem once more. 
So what Samuel is trying to do for the people of Israel here is he's trying to remind them of their history. He's trying to remind them over the fact that God has been faithful to them. That God has rescued them at the hands of their enemies over and over and over again, but yet over and over and over again, the people forget God. Make no mistake, church, every single one of you here, we are prone to forget God's goodness in our lives. You know, I am, and you've heard me say this before, I am very strongly bothered by statements when people say something to the effect of, well, I like God and I'm a Christian, but I just don't think I need the church. Because that tells me very quickly, one, you're not reading your Bible, because the Bible over, repeatedly in different places actually encourages fellowship and tells you to be in community. But one of the reasons why we do this on Sunday is for what? To remember God. The reason why we take such careful attention, not just with our sermons and offering you scriptures here, but in the songs that we sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, right? And then the other songs that just sang today is because we forget. So we do things on a Sunday here. We set up opportunities throughout the week at this church because we are forgetful people. And we need the community of believers to encourage us in different ways, to be the kinds of people that are above, uh, beside and below us, to encourage us in our faith to remember God. Church, if we remove ourselves from the fellowship of believers here, then the only thing we're doing is we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting the body of Christ. Because make no mistake, the church needs you. The church needs you because God has gifted you with different abilities, with personalities, with insights, with different kinds of wisdom that the church of Jesus for today needs to use for the benefit of His people. That's why there, this is a team effort just when we have our Sunday services here. But it goes so much further than just a message or worship songs or what have you. It goes into the penetration of our lives, which is why our church is focusing so strongly right now on forming these different life groups in our church, which is why Jessica and others are starting a women's group in March, which is why um, the Douglases formed a life group in their home, and why we have so many th opportunities that we're trying to build up that are community-driven. Because we understand that when we gather together, we give each other an opportunity to remember God. 
Verse 9, but they forgot the Lord their God. My main point for today that I want each and every one of you to put deeply into your mind is to take time to remember what God has done. Take time, and I underlined that word, or to remember what God has done. You see, I originally wrote the, the main idea as remember what God has done. But I, I, in, in thinking about it a little bit more, I realized that I needed to add the words take time because it is an effort. You need to, in some ways, schedule throughout your days and weeks moments where you remember what God has done. Well, pastor, I don't know how to do that. Here's a good starting point. Reading God's Word. When we get away from reading God's Word, when we get away from taking time to remember what God has done, you know what we end up moving towards? We end up moving out of orthodoxy and into heresy. And I hate to say it, but in many ways, that's what I feel like I'm seeing right now in many denominations in the U.S. I'm seeing people who are forgetting to take time to remember God's Word, and they're letting culture dictate the pace of morality in our, in our church and not letting God's Word do that for them. And they're veering off of orthodoxy and they're entering into heresy. And I don't say that lightly, but I say that because I don't want anybody in this church to do the same. We need to remember God. And if you don't want to remember Him just through the Bible, take time to remember Him through the things that have happened in your life. When you feel like God is moving in your life, when God is doing something wonderful, write it down and revisit it. Do something to commemorate that moment. In Israel, what they would often do is they would set up, maybe they would set up rocks and, and, and allow these uh, rocks to form kind of a monument of God's goodness, or they would set up other things in order to allow that to be a marker in their lives of what God has done. Do something to take time to remember what God has done. You see, Samuel, realizing that the people in Israel had forgotten what God had done in their lives, he eventually tells them of that history, and then he goes one step further. He shows them this wonderful sign, and through that, the people start to realize how much they have failed the Lord in wanting a king, and that they realize that they rejected God as their king. And I love what Samuel ends up saying, because what he ends up saying is, 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 is the past is in some ways already in the past, but he tells them to focus on this. 
He says, you have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord. Serve the Lord, verse 21 says. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. For the sake of His great name, the Lord will not reject His people because the Lord has, has, was pleased to make you His own. Did you hear that? The Lord is pleased to make you His own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things He has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both for you and your king, you will perish. One of the reasons we need, again, to take time to remember what God has done is to avoid exactly that. That we will end up persisting in doing evil, and as a result, we will perish in our lives. Church, God is moving. God is doing wonderful things. And He has done wonderful things in our lives. And in order for us to truly make this a lifelong journey, we need to be intentional at seeing God's work in our lives and remembering God's work in our lives. And when we do that, we allow ourselves an opportunity to deepen our relationship with God. And hopefully by doing that as well, we allow others an opportunity to deepen their relationship with God. Take time to remember what God has done. Let's pray.